Welcome to the Next Level Communications podcast, the show that explores how to have more meaningful conversations and make real connections in business and in life. I'm your host, Eloise Leeson, founder of Olin, a Next Level Communication Consultancy. As a linguist, I'm passionate about helping people improve their ability to communicate. And on the show, we'll be discussing ideas and strategies to help you close the gap between what you think you're saying and what is actually being received by your customers. Effective communication takes empathy, self-awareness, and a commitment to seeing things from another person's perspective. My goal with this show is to get you talking about talking, thinking about brand, considering your language, and most importantly, focusing on that other person. Communication is at the heart of all relationships. My hope is that this show will help you nurture your connections through more conscious, impactful conversations. I am so glad that you are here. Hello and welcome back to the Next Level Communication Podcast with myself, Eloise Leeson. I am always and so delighted that you are here. It is wild to me that we are somehow six episodes in and if you've been here for the whole journey, I am just enormously grateful to you. I have been wanting to do a podcast for just more years than I care to admit. Um, so the fact that we've done this and we've done six episodes, you guys, is just really exciting. So to everyone who's encouraging and supportive and all these all these good things, I just am very, very grateful. So wrapping up this season, oh my gosh, one whole season. Wrapping up this season, we are today going to be looking at the magic of customer-focused messaging and a matrix that I, well, it's a matrix really, it's a Venn diagram. So we're going to get a little bit nerdy. Lol, when have we not been nerdy so far in this podcast? But we are going to get a little bit detailed around the the kind of um, formula that I use when it comes to helping my clients build customer messages um, or customer facing messages. But first, I, I hope that you found last week's podcast interesting and informative. If you haven't yet told me what your family called the TV remote or any adorable, unusual words that you have in your household growing up, um, my grandfather used to refer to Egypt as egg wiped um, and Victoria Sponge was not Victoria Sponge, it was Victoria Spong. Um, we would call our ears, well, still do call our ears, wikis. Um, so have you got sore wikis? Have you got cold wikis? So that's just to get you started. One of the, the, the communicators out there that I most admire, Jenny Field, had told me that she and her family call dressing gowns a boo-boo. Um, and that's not B-O-O-B-O-O, it's B-U-B-U, boo-boo, which I absolutely love. So we'll definitely be finding that away for future reference when I eventually get a new dressing gown. Um, you know, send all donations to myself. But yeah, so we, it's a very... Well, tunnel, very rainy day uh, as I'm recording this. And, you know, one of those kind of collective moments where I guess everyone is hopefully getting cozy. I don't know where you are, where you're listening to this, whether you are wandering through the woods on a crunchy leaf walk. That sounds like a nice thing to do, doesn't it? Or you're listening in the gym, um, in which case all power to you. Um, maybe you're driving and you're doing a little bit of linguistics learning as you go. Um, but really just to kind of touch very gently on on something that I think I have referenced prior in this podcast, but that what we've been doing this this entire podcast season is something called metalinguistics, which is talking about talking. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts that we can give ourselves. Um, and when I was at university um, in my last, I think one of the last lectures I ever had from the inimitable Dr. Barbara Fennell, who was just fantastic. Think Hannah Waddingham, but is it Hannah Wadding Waddington, Rebecca from Ted Lasso? Um, think her, but for the realm of linguistics. Blonde, powerhouse, awesome individual. That was Dr. Barbara Fennell, who I think became Professor Barbara Fennell. So you know what, just badass all around. 
And Professor Fennell said to us, our sort of, you know, very keen, still wet behind the ears, baby linguists, she said that we had to be really careful of the skills that we have as linguists because we are, and you are now potentially, um, because we are so aware of this web of language that we are all engaged in all of the time, it's very easy to turn that into something manipulative, potentially. So she warned us against, she gave us a caution, don't don't let yourself become manipulators. I think she made some sassy comment about lawyers as well in that, but no shade being thrown in the legal direction. Um, but with this, I think it's just very powerful once you realise that when we're talking about talking, there is, there's so much, a conversation never runs dry. Um, and when it comes to talking about talking, there literally is no limit to what you can start to explore. So I hope if nothing else, this, this season has helped you become curious about how your words work internally, how your words work externally, um, how you can use them to bridge workplace cultures, not necessarily from a, a geographical perspective, but from a, well, success means something different to your sales team than to your development team. Maybe develop, your development team looks like the difference between assembling flat pack IKEA furniture um, and crafting something truly beautiful that doesn't need to be fixed a couple of years down the line. So success is different for everybody. And once you are aware of that from a linguistics perspective, you then get the chance to talk about it on a, on a more conscious level. So if we think about how we move through various stages of competence, we have unconscious incompetence, as in we don't know that we don't know how to do something. We have conscious incompetence. We know that we're doing something and we know that we're doing it not terribly well. Then you have conscious competence where you know what to do to get the result that you're looking for, but you have to really think about it. And then we have unconscious competence, which is, you know, we're so good at doing something, it's second nature. It's habits, easy as breathing. We don't have to worry about it. And I would like us to think now about metaconscious, com wait, hang on, try again, metaconscious competence, where we know why we are good at something and we can start to apply that to other areas of our life. So if you find that you are someone who gets called on regularly to do presentations and you just kind of do them without a second thought, I would really love for you to get curious about your metaconscious competence. Why is it that you are such a great presenter? Is it because you know how to vary your pitch and tone to keep an audience interested? Is it that you're very sensitive to the mood of your audience as you receive it so you know how to change things to hold people's interest? Do you know, as my father did, when to lob a fruit pastel at someone to keep their sugar levels up and get answers to questions and get people bought in and interested? What is it that makes you very good at the communication you're good at? And we obviously touched on that very briefly in episode four where we did our mini brand um, deep dive together. So you might have some answers to this already. But as we move into custom messaging, I'm going to talk about something called Grice's Maxims. Um, and Grice's Maxims of Conversation is something that I think you will recognize as we go. So I just want you to have a think about these whilst I'm explaining them, and then I'll explain how they relate to your customer messaging. But first, let's have a little think about what your customer messaging needs to be. So obviously, we talked about audience research and the importance of audience research, making sure that you're not just assuming what it is that people want to hear, making sure that you're taking the time to get insight and understanding, real genuine understanding of what you deliver for your clients. And it's usually, certainly in, in my experience with 80 plus clients, it's usually that the client 
would never be so audacious as to describe the impact that they have had on their customers in the way that their customers would. There's always that sort of internal negativity bias where we, we're maybe shy about thinking what we did was actually as good as it was. Well, I'm here to tell you it was as good as it was and you are absolutely brilliant at what you do. Um, so on that note, your customer, the formula that I think about, the Venn diagram that I think about when it comes to customer-based messaging is this. Your customer is the authority on what you do. Let me explain. Your customer is the authority on what you do because they are the recipients of your work. And the Maya Angelou quote, which is that people will forget what you said, they will forget what you did, they will never forget how you made them feel, is just as true and applicable to your customer messaging as it is to any other facet of your life. So when it comes to thinking about how your customer feels when they interact with you, um, it's like if someone tells you they're hurt, you don't get to tell them that they're not. Whether you intended to do something that hurt them or you didn't, the fact is that the byproduct of your actions still caused an impact that you don't get to control. So by proactively seeking out what it is that you've done for your customers and the positive impact that you've had on them, you then, A, as we mentioned before, get to speak to that with real authority and you get to say to them, or to future clients, this is what we've done because our customers have told us. What you do have almost complete creative and cultural control over, and you can tell I'm really excited about this because my voice gets all sort of like wiggly, I don't know. Um, but I get really excited about this because it puts you back in a seat of power. And that is that you get to tell them how you do what you do. So if they are, the formula is this, right? Your customer message equals sorry, is, is based on, you can tell I don't do maths. Anyway, your customer messaging is based on two things. Your customer tells you what you do, you tell them how you did it. And this means you get to weave in all of those absolutely essential brand values into, that we looked at in episode four, into how you explain that now across your company and then what that impact means for your customers. And then they get to tell you the, the receipt of that. So what did they receive as a result of your cultural values and the way that you've worked? So just thinking about that, from a messaging perspective, that means that we're leading with the audience experience. And that's really important because I would love anybody here, especially those who work in the business to business realm. If you have a website that isn't converting, I would like to challenge you to look at how much of a second person focus you have. The second person means you in terms of pronouns. So if you think about a second person pronoun, that is the word you. First person pronoun is I, third person is I plural, so it's we. Second person pronoun is you. That is the opposite of whoever you're, you yourself, who you're speaking to in a conversation. So I think I've maybe, I know I've definitely shared this on video on my LinkedIn profile before, but when it comes to calculating your audience focus, a really helpful tool for doing that is to take a web page, to take um, a piece of collateral that you have. I may have shared this before, so forgive me if I'm telling you how to suck eggs again. You've already nailed this particular technique. If so, 10 points to Gryffindor. Um, and what you do is you get the word count of that particular piece of um, copy, right? So you maybe you have 200 words, 300 words. I would then love for you to identify all the instances of you and your in the copy. So things that relate to the second person pronoun. Then when it comes to the percentage analysis of it, I want you to understand or find out for yourself, use a percentage calculator. If like me, you cannot do maths. Um, if you can do percentage calculations in your head, please tell me how. I would really love to know that. I would. Um, but what I would love to know is, so you enter in the percentage, 
then you take the word count and whatever percent of your word count your use of second person pronoun is will be a very good indicator of how much you've actually focused on your audience so if for example it's less than 2.5 percent you've probably done a lot of as i've said before weeing all over your copy now forgive the fact that i am using toilet humor here but if you are using we everywhere in your copy that tells me as a consumer immediately where your priorities lie and the majority of businesses go wrong on their websites because they a haven't identified a purpose for the website but they also haven't considered the purpose for your user so if I, for example, am selling a SaaS product. Um, I'm probably going to spend a lot of time telling you why my product is so fabulous. And we've done this and we've done that and we've achieved this and this product did this and our product does this and it's fabulous. What I haven't done is identified why you need it, the problems you have that this solves, how it will make your everyday better. And you see immediately just how much more compelling that message is. Now, when you when you underpin that little customer message formula of your customer tells you how you do it and you tell them, sorry, the customer tells you what you do and you tell them how, suddenly you have a, a, a brilliant framework for explaining this is the impact that you will experience as reported by our previous customers. The way we achieve those results for you is through X, Y, and Z brand values. And the reason that we leverage these is because this is what we found really works. This is what we value. This is what we're proud of. This is why we can deliver these results for you. But it sets up the message hierarchy in the right way because you should never be thinking about yourself first in the copy. There's a, there's a brilliant English language coach um, who specifically supports copywriters who are not native English speakers to sound like native English speakers. So Nick anderson Vine, if you are listening to this, um, high fives to you. But Nick wrote a brilliant post about the fact that if you are, you have to earn the right to use the word we in your web copy and in any sales collateral, anything like that, because you don't get the chance to talk about yourself until you have created interest, shown understanding and empathy, built rapport and, and forged trust with that other person. Only then do you get the right to tell people how you help them, what you do. So bear that in mind as you're exploring this kind of customer message paradigm. And the way that, that you know, the crisis maxims come into play and I will explain this in, in detail. I will, I will explain why I'm telling you this. Um, Grice's maxims are really conversational maxims that help us understand where and what is appropriate when communicating information. Now, you might think, well, Eloise, come on, I know this already. You know, speaking all my life, I know, I know how to convey, um, you know, information X, Y, and Z. But Grice's maxims are certainly in the West a relatively universal indicator, I suppose, that helps you understand if you have conveyed your information correctly. It also is really more of a framework that explains why we get really, really cheesed off when people violate them. So just go back to that meta-conscious competence, to that linguistic toolkit that we all have inside us. And when I'm explaining the four following maxims, just see if they resonate with you. And if you like, try and think about instances where they have been violated and you have been the unfortunate recipient of that violation. That sounds terrible. I'm so sorry. Ignore that. That you basically there was a conversation breakdown and you might you might identify why that happened. So one of the first maxims of Grice, Paul Grice, I believe this was in Language and Meaning 1974. I will go double check this and I will add this into the show notes. Um, but Paul Grice identified these maxims and one of the first is the maxim of relevance. What you say must be relevant to the conversation at hand. You can't 
give a response that has nothing to do with the current topic of conversation. Um, and you might find that in meetings, for example, that maxim is violated when someone comes in with a point they've been bursting to make for the last 25 minutes that doesn't relate to what you're talking about talking about at that moment in time. So the maximum relevance means what you're adding to the conversation must be directly relevant to the subject matter at hand. The maximum of quality is that what you say must be truthful. For a positive exchange, conversational exchange to happen, you must tell the truth. Now that is not rocket science, right? But if we look at the obfuscation that goes on with politicians that can go on in courts of law, um, any kind of, of situation where lying or telling white lies or obscuring the truth in some way can be advantageous, that is a violation of the maximum quality. So classic example was the, um, the Brexit bus. And I think this is back in 2017, where the Brexit bus was going around saying, if we leave the, Euro the European Union, Britain will have 380 million more pounds a week to put into the NHS. Um, and that was a, a an outright lie, as Nigel Farage, I think, admitted on morning television the day after the vote was cast. Um, he violated the maximum quality. When we violate the maximum quality of not telling the truth, we obliterate trust for the other party. Why would they trust you if you lied to them? So the maximum quality is absolutely crucial. Like really, again, like most things should go without saying, um, but the maximum quality is, is absolute. There is then the maximum of manner. The way you explain what you explain has to be done in an appropriate fashion. So it would be like trying to have a, you know, conversation with someone when neither of you speak the other party's language, or it would be like replying to someone via interpretive dance. Now those are very extreme examples, but another way could be that maybe you you don't explain yourself clearly and correctly enough for the other person to be, to really be able to understand what you've said. Ironically, I'm struggling to explain this maxim. I'm probably violating the maxim of manner myself. But um, have a think about times where you try to get an answer out of someone um, and they've maybe answered strangely or they haven't quite got meaning of what you said. There can be a communication breakdown in that sense there as well. And the final maxim is the manner of quantity. So the maximum quantity is that you must give just as much information as is needed to convey understanding without giving too much information or too little. So your answer can't leave the person still curious about what the answer was. It can't give so much information that the actual meaning that you, you've offered is lost in all of the various words that you've said. So I would absolutely love to know how have any of any of these cropped up for you do you sometimes find if you struggle to tell a story that you can see people's eyes glazing over are you maybe violating the maximum of matter and relevance or of quality and relevance or of quantity and relevance um have a think about the things that might be going on within you that you maybe recognized in the past you know you might have asked someone how are you and they've ignored you they haven't responded they haven't given you an answer to your question theoretically they have violated the maximum of quantity. They haven't given you any information in response to your question. You would understandably feel a little bit ticked off with them. Totally get that. Um, but then also if you ask someone how they were and they said, oh, well, do you know what? I've been living under a rock for the last six years and I like to lick lampposts and I suck stones for money. If anyone can tell me where that Dylan Moran quote comes from, you will be on my absolute like number one high five list. But if you were to give too much information, and we have all been there, where we've asked someone how they are, and they've given us the real answer, we've gone, oh no, I shouldn't have done that, oh dear, oh no, and then you regret it. Um, 
So thinking about crisis maxims in that sense, these really are, at least in sort of U the UK and the Western world, they are relatively universal principles that we can apply. Does, what does this have to do with your customer messaging and the messages that you use to engage your future prospects? Well, they give you a really helpful framework for making sure that any copy or anything that you convey to your customer is hitting all of those maxims. So you have to tell your customers things that are true. That's really important. Don't give unsupported information. Don't give false claims. Don't imply something or lead people on. That's that linguistic manipulation piece. You have to, to deliver your messages whilst adhering to the maximum of quantity. So you need to say enough that you're understood. Don't give too much information. Don't overwhelm someone. Okay, if you are looking as a, a, a climate science um, learning body and you want people to understand more about the climate crisis, then give them entry-level information. Don't slap them around the face with a 16-page report that's really more suited to the postdoc community, okay? Quantity is vitally important, none more so than on a website when someone's visiting it for the spare for the first time. They don't owe you anything. So it is absolutely critical that you respect their time by giving them what they need as quickly as they can get it. You have to be relevant to them. So for me, the manner of so the maximum of relation is so important because when you're thinking about staying relevant to the topic at hand, you have to do your audience research first in order to be able to be relevant to their needs. If you don't know what their needs are, how are you possibly going to, to, to maintain the maximum of relation? And you need to convey what you're saying in a way that is appropriate, that is understandable, um, and that is is accessible. That also jumps into the, the maxim of manner. So you need to be clear, you need to be brief, you need to do things in the right order. You need to explain things at the appropriate time. You need to avoid being obscure. You need to avoid being ambiguous or confusing. It's really essential. When you think about these particular maxims, you suddenly have a brilliant handbook for creating content and copy that's going to resonate with people because you have respected them within these maxims. I don't know about you, but when I go to a website that doesn't necessarily keep these maxims at heart, I get a little bit cross and I feel like my time is being wasted. And there are so many other places that are competing for my attention. If you haven't considered my experience on your website, I'm going, I'm going to get frustrated and it's not going to make the best first impression. And as my, again, quote my dad a lot, but for a good reason, you never get a second chance at a first impression. So recapping on this episode, those maxims are absolutely worth writing down, thinking about, recognizing them in your everyday conversation. The next time you have a catch up with someone and they just go on and on and on and on, have they violated the maximum quantity? The answer is probably yes. The next time you tell a little white lie, have you violated the maximum quantity? Yeah, kind of. But you've done it in such a way that actually maybe it isn't so bad. That's up to you. It's on your conscience. Um, but thinking about your customer messaging from this perspective means that you suddenly know what to say because your customers have told you. You know how to say it because you understand your brand values and you know the steps to go through to make sure that th that message becomes as engaging and as compelling as possible. I'm going to leave you with that today. It's quite a lot of like linguistic heavy lifting, but I hope that has been really valuable to you. I would absolutely love to know your thoughts as always. I hope that you've really enjoyed this series. I might have a sneaky little bonus episode coming out soon, so just keep your peepers peeled for that. Um, and I just want to say thank you again so much for being part of this journey. I couldn't do without you.
and it's just the best that you're still here. So thank you for being part of the journey, the first season of the Next Level Communications podcast. I have been your host, Eloise Leeson-Smith, and you have been amazing. Thank you so much. I will speak to you soon. Thank you.